0: Amen. Hey, friends, great to see you in the room here. Uh, good to see some faces that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, and for those of you watching online, welcome. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life Fellowship Church. And so, whether you're joining us, uh, thank you, Kate, whether you're joining us on newlife.nyc or on our YouTube page or on our Facebook, uh, it is a joy to have you with us at the end of our service today we 're going to be sharing in uh, communion, so feel free at home to feel free to prepare for that uh, as we move towards that time in our service uh, but we 've been in a series of teachings focused on this uh, theme here God, politics, and the church and we are in our fourth week next week will be our final week of that series, and I need to tell you already that I've already written my sermon for next week, because for me, it doesn't matter who wins or loses, the message is the same, and so I wanted to just let you know that, that however things unfold, uh, whatever craziness or not craziness unfolds in our world, uh, I'm already prepared to preach a message, because uh, the gospel and the proclamation of it is not contingent upon who's in the Oval Office. Somebody say Amen. <laughs> And so uh, that's next week. We'll be doing that. And then uh, we'll go into some other stuff here. But uh, I, want, I need to say, and I've been saying it every, uh, at the start of every sermon here, that a number of people in our congregation uh, will be voting on Tuesday or have already voted uh, for Donald Trump. And a number of people in our congregation will be voting or have already voted for uh, Joe Biden. And I need to say this every Sunday because uh, not everyone is uh, coming to church every Sunday. That no matter who you vote for, uh, you are welcome in our church. No matter who you vote for, you're welcome in our church. And that is an important thing to say over and over again. The only thing my pastoral word to add to that important statement is that we would take the teachings of Jesus seriously. That we would see politics through the lens of Jesus and not Jesus through the lens of politics, that we would live curiously to understand why our neighbor, why our brother or sister from within our congregation might see things differently than we do, and that we would live from a place of deep humility and prayer as we live to live, seek to live faithfully in the world to Jesus. That's my hope here. So you're welcome at the same time. I need to change and you need to change. And that's the invitation for us as followers of Jesus. We don't see things clearly or as clearly as we think we see things. We are always uh, in a process of uh, formation and transformation, trying to be faithful to Jesus. But today is our final message. Uh, uh, Next week will be our final message. Today is week four. And we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 17. The Gospel of John chapter 17. You can follow along on the screen as well. We're going to be starting at verse number 13 uh, to verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And this is Jesus praying to the Father for his disciples. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Lord, give us understanding through the power of your Spirit. Give us revelation and illumination to be the people of God you've called us to be in this particular moment of history. We open ourselves to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. In 2014, a new life couple got married. It was a great time of joy. But just one month after the wedding ceremony, the wife would suffer from a frightening and rare brain injury. Tunisia Hall found herself at North Shore LIJ with a brain hemorrhage. And after the surgery, Tunisia had trouble with her memory. She didn't know what year it was. She didn't know how old she was. She didn't even remember that the month prior to her surgery, she got even married. And so her husband, Raleigh, who some of you know thought that he had lost her. And so a couple of days after realizing that her memory had gone, Raleigh went home and came back to the hospital to put pictures and photographs of their wedding all over the hospital room. And in the process of him trying to help her jog her memory and have her remember who she was and who she belonged to, Slowly but surely, her memory began to come back to the point where it was fully restored, where she remembered who she was and remembered who she belonged to. Now, it's a beautiful story. It's a powerful story. And when I remembered it again this past week, it reminded me of the church and the story of the church. I'm amazed by Tunisia's strength, and I'm enamored by Raleigh's love. And this story reminds me that it's an important story for us because I truly believe that the church has lost its memory. The church has sustained a significant brain injury, and this injury has been brought on by many things, But especially in the particular moment that we're in, this brain injury has come about because of political hostility and political idolatry. The reason we have forgotten who we are as the church is because we have allowed ourselves to be formed by political hostility and conformed into political idolatry. What I've been trying to do throughout this series is not necessarily to show photographs, but to give snapshots of the life of Jesus and the witness of the church, to have us recall our fundamental identity and have us remember who we belong to. And my biggest concern at this moment is the identity and the integrity of the church. My uncle Johnny always said to me, you might be the only Jesus someone sees. And my anxiety about that statement is that we have a generation who's not impressed by what they see. And so we need to remember. Remember who we are. And remember who we are called to be in relationship with. And with the election only two days away, the thing that weighs most on my heart is not who wins and not who loses. The thing that weighs most in my heart is this question. Is the church losing a generation because of our inability to be distinct from the world? This generation sees through the lust for political power. This generation sees through the, in, the, the indifference in the face of injustice. This generation sees the division and the hypocrisy. Who is the church to be in this moment? I often think about the well known theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who in his time of resisting Hitler found himself in prison. And in the process of corresponding with friends, he asked this question, which became a book called Letters and Papers from Prison. And he asked this question, said, What is bothering me incessantly is the question what Christianity is, or who indeed is, who, who indeed, who Christ really is for us today. And it's an important, provocative question. Who is Christ for us today? But in light of that question, I want to add another corresponding question for our time. It's not just who is Christ today, it's who are we to be for Christ today? It's not just who is Christ for us, who are we to be for Christ today? How is the church supposed to show up in the world? And as I recalled last week, the church is to live from a different place. We are to live from a fundamentally different identity, not coerced and not co-opted by political parties, but finding ourselves to be a different kind of people. I've been mentioning in the past few weeks that the church is not to be found in the center of a left-right political world. The church is to be a species of its own kind, confounding left, right, and middle, and finding its identity from the center of God's life. Amen, somebody. We are to confound the world. Through our witness to Jesus Christ and what Christ invites us into is this particular phrase that we see uh, found in, in John 17. We are to be in the world, but not of the world in it, but not of it. Now, that phrase is not exactly used in that language in this chapter, but we get that phrase from this chapter. It's a good way of understanding what Jesus is saying. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. In our text, in John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father for his disciples as he prepares to go to the cross. And He's about to go to the cross, and so he spends his last hours in prayer. And not just praying for himself, praying for the disciples and the future disciples he loves. And I love that about Jesus. He spends his last hours in praying, in prayer, loving his disciples. And so he's so concerned that his disciples would carry on the mission that he started, that he prays for them. And his prayers are incredibly beautiful. He prays that the church would be one. Listen to the prayer in verse 11. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Look at what Jesus prays. He prays that they would be protected, not protected from danger, but be protected from division. Because division is the greatest danger for the church. He doesn't say, Lord, Father, I pray that they would never get sick. Protect them from, ever, uh, per- from persecution. He doesn't pray that. He says, Lord, protect them. Father, protect them that-, that they may be one. Because the greatest danger to the church is not persecution or whatever. The greatest danger to the church is division. Division is the greatest danger. And so he says, I pray that they would be one. Now, as we've been saying, to be one is not to see everything the same. To be one is not to agree on all things. To be one is not to be clones of each other. To be one is not to vote in the same way. To be one is to live in mutual, self-giving love. To be one is to look to the interest of our neighbor and not to the interest of ourselves only. To be one is to take our orders from Jesus and not from the surrounding world. He says, I pray they would be one. Then he prays for the church that they would have joy. And boy, do we need some joy. Amen. We need some joy, brothers and sisters. In a world that's increasingly hostile and angry, the church needs the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. I'm not saying we're just happy-go-lucky people, but we're living from a different center. So he prays, I pray that the joy you gave me, I pray that it would be found in them. And so he prays that they would be one. He prays that they would have joy. And then in verse 15, he says, Father, do not take them out of the world. Now, hear this for a moment. God is not interested in taking you out of the world. When Jesus teaches us to pray in the Our Father prayer, he he says, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't teach us to pray, Lord, get us out of earth into your kingdom in heaven. He doesn't pray that. He says, I pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he prays that the father would protect them from the world because they are not of the world. He says the world has hated them because they are not of the world. And it is here where we get the phrase in, but not of it. And that's the posture Jesus is inviting his disciples to take. How do we remember our fundamental identity? How do we recall who we're called to be? To be we have to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, to talk about being in the world, but not of the world, is really an alternative way of being in the world. But before I talk about this alternative, Christ-saturated, gospel-informed way of being, I want to talk about the other postures that we tend to be identified by that go against our commitment to Jesus in the world. We're called to be an alternative community. We're called to have an alternative posture, an alternative imagination. But instead of living an alternative life to Christ, we live three other postures. That we must reject and resist. And whether this happens individually or collectively as a church, I want to name them because it's important that we resist them. The first posture that we tend to have that goes against this in but not of the world is this posture of being apart from the world. Many people think we have to be apart from the world. Now, to be in the world means we are present to God and present to our neighbor. It means we are spiritually and emotionally concerned about what happens in the world. But for some, we have a posture that we are called to be apart. Now, throughout the centuries, Christians have chosen to physically be distant from the world. Some Christians have been doing social distancing for a long time. This thing didn't start in 2020. Some Christians have been social distancing, amen, for a really long time. And the idea about this often is this. If you get too close to the things of the world, you might be contaminated by the world. And so I was, so you better not go to the movies because Jesus might come back and it's too dark in the movies for him to find you. And so you better be apart from the world. He can't find you in the dark. And so this has led to Christians striving to be apart from the world. It has led to Christians saying, I can't participate in anything that is remotely secular. I, can't, I better not listen to music. I better not watch movies. And I better change my wardrobe. I need to be apart from the world. And I get it. In 1999, when I became a Christian, I became a Christian in a beautiful, uh, holiness, Latino Pentecostal church that I learned so much. But in the process, there was a particular theological view of the world that we are to be apart from it. And so you better not be listening to that worldly stuff. And to this day, there were songs that came out from 1999 to 2003 that I've never heard before. The other day, I was listening to a song. I said, oh, that's a nice jam. Rosie, did it just come out? She said, this came out in 2002. What are you talking about? I said, oh, oh, that was a long time ago. But I was listening to wow worship music at that time. You know what I'm saying? The, the green, the, the blue cover. I, that's what I was listening to back in the day. So there are entire songs for like a four-year period that I never even heard of. Because I was called to be apart from the world. Now hear me when I say this. I'm not saying after the service and we say amen, turn on Hot 97 and Z100 and have a good time. I'm, be discerning with what you watch. Be discerning with what you listen to. But, but here's the issue: we often believe that being apart from the world is what we're called to be as Christ followers. And 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 with all of that wardrobe, with all of the music, the movies, that's not my greatest concern about the posture of being apart. My greatest concern. Is that this posture often leads to indifference. The Christian who lives with this posture doesn't want to be involved in the issues of the day. Because I just want to focus on Jesus. But to just focus on Jesus... And not focus on the issues that Jesus is concerned about. And the people that Jesus is concerned about is not to be faithful to Jesus. It's often the case. I I just want to meet. I just want to relate. I don't want to be involved in those conversations. I don't want to be involved in those issues. And what begins to happen is our life becomes about our own self-protection and our own comfort. And I don't have the time or the space to be involved in some of the complex issues of the day. I want to be a part. And what begins to happen in the process is in our posture of being a part, we become socially irrelevant to the world. And so that's the first posture we are called to reject, to be apart from the world. To be in the world but not of the world doesn't mean we are to be apart from the world. Secondly, to be in the world but not of the world does not mean that we are called to be against the world. What I mean is this. The task of the church is not to be a source of angry condemnation towards the world. And this is a posture that's common on the left and on the right and on everyone in between. It's a way of the world that a way of seeing the world that emphasizes everything one is against, with little uh, to offer as it pertains to what one is for. And this posture is seen in the disciples of Jesus from the very beginning. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter nine, there are two uh, 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 disciples of Jesus named James and John. They were brothers. They're known as the sons of thunder, a good wrestling name. The sons of thunder. And these guys one day were walking with Jesus, and they heard that there were people who were not welcoming Jesus. And in Luke 9, this is what they say. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, uh, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Listen to this. Lord, can we just destroy these people? They don't want you. Let's just destroy them. And this is a posture that often infects people of God, that we are known for what we are against. And so whether this is expressed through some conservatives who believe that God hates Muslims and God hates Democrats and God hates gay people. Or whether it's expressed through some progressives who believe that being prophetic means to ruthlessly and unrelentingly condemn those who they disagree with. And forgetting that to be biblically prophetic never ends at confrontation, it always ends at hope. And so whether we're talking right or left... We are often predisposed in this culture to be known by what we are against. But to be in the world, but not of the world, is to reject being apart from the world, is to reject being against the world, and thirdly, is to be, reject being attached to the world. And these postures are Dangerous. These postures do not help us recall our fundamental identity and what it means to remember that we are followers of Jesus. And to be attached to the world is to essentially find your hope in the world. I've been talking about this the last few weeks about a political enmeshment and fusion and the ways that we have so wrapped up our hope with who gets elected, so wrapped up our hope with what happens in the Supreme Court, so wrapped up our hope in the political machinations and processes and systems of our day. And yes, let's be involved. And yes, let's try to mobilize ourselves to work for the things that Jesus is concerned about. But there is now a kind of idolatry and attachment and emotional fusion that marks our lives. And so this does not make us faithful to Jesus. And so whether we are apart, whether we are against, whether we are attached to the world, we are called to be different. We are called to offer an alternative alternative to the world. And when I talk about this being alternative to the world, I'm talking about it in these very simple statements here. To be an alternative witness in the world is to be deeply present in the world and radically different from the world. Let me help you remember. And let me help myself remember what it means to follow Jesus. Because I don't know about you, I forget sometimes what it means to follow Jesus. I forget who I belong to. I forget who I am. And I know I'm not alone. We are to be deeply present in the world and radically different from the world. To be deeply present in the world means that we are prayerfully aware. That we don't avoid the hard issues or the hard discussions. That the problems of the world are not to be ignored in the name of respectability, in the name of your joy. We are to be deeply present in the world. It means that we find ourselves listening and in the, and listening to the stories of other people. We sit where people sit. To be deeply present reminds us that we see people as people and not simply as issues. We are deeply present in the world, but we're also called to be radically different from the world. The world is known by its commitment to dominate and demonize. The world is known by a system that that has a tendency to reduce an entire human being to their vote. The world is known by its inability to be self-critical. The world system is known by its tendency to prioritize the powerful and to overlook the poor. And we have to name these things because Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in this political social moment, I'm concerned that the church is being conformed by worldliness. Now growing up, I would hear that phrase, worldliness, that the church is worldly, and what that basically meant were some women were wearing earrings and pants, makeup. Worldliness was you listening to particular music. Worldliness was you hanging around with a certain group of people. And we said, ooh, that woman's worldly. That man is worldly. And that's much too a superficial way to understand worldliness. And and the powers and principalities of the world would have us focus on that level of superficiality. So as not to look at some of the deeper elements of worldliness that finds its way into our lives and in our churches. And this political and social moment we're in. There are plenty of words that describe worldliness, and I want to give you three of them in this particular moment, because these are three words we are called to resist if we're going to be faithful to Jesus in being in the world, but not of the world. And here are the three words. The world is known by its dividing, its demonizing, and its distancing. What does it mean to be worldly? That you are marked by division, you're marked by demonizing, you're marked by distancing. And I want to just offer these three words, comment on them for a moment, and then we're going to receive communion together. What does it mean to not be of the world that we resist dividing, demonizing, distancing? When I talk about dividing, first of all, To resist this worldly system of dividing means that that we are resisting what I'll call this homogeneous community formation. There was an NBC article entitled, that came out recently, Are You in a Social Media Bubble? And the article was written by a woman named Wendy Gould, and, and she opens with these words. Maybe you can identify with these words. She says, you're thumbing through Facebook your Facebook newsfeed. when a post from an acquaintance you completely forgot about jolts you mid-scroll. Maybe it's a shared meme poking fun at your preferred political candidate or an opposing proclamation on a touchy subject like gun control, or maybe it's just a picture of them wearing or doing something that elicits a breathy scoff. You think to yourself, how did this person escape my last purge? And the purge basically means that there are times where I just say, all right, it's time to get rid of some people on my Facebook. And then you go to their page and without a second thought, click unfriend. And like that, a feeling of contentment sets in as you resume scrolling through your curated feed of like-minded friends and highly targeted advertisements. The world is marked by division. The world is marked by these filter bubbles, and the church is to show something different. Just two weeks ago, we had a faith and politics webinar, and part of that webinar were two new lifers, two elders of our church, who were going to uh, have a discussion as it pertained to their political differences and why they were supporting one candidate and the other was supporting the other candidate. And I remember getting the email from uh, Pastor Helen. She said, we're going to have a discussion on, 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 a, on this webinar, and we're gonna talk about, they're going to talk about why one is going for this candidate, why the other is supporting. And I thought, this is awful. That was my initial response. No, this is terrible. This is going to be a bad thing for us. Craziness is going to ensue. And that was a very worldly way of thinking about this. And in the conversation... Uh, it, was a, it was a thoughtful, it was a non-anxious, it was a humble conversation. And I'm not going to say the whole time I was smiling and going, there were times I was going, oh, I don't believe that. Or, oh, I don't know about that there. But the, the sheer fact that we were modeling something different than the world was a testament that we want to do things the Jesus way. This doesn't mean we wink at sin. It doesn't mean we're not pushing against injustice and calling it out. But can we be different than the world? Can we resist the hostile, divisive forces that mark the world? And so to not be worldly is to resist the notion of dividing. But secondly, is to resist the notion of demonizing as well. There was another fascinating article that came out of Time magazine, which talked about why political opposites in the United States despise each other. And there was a recent study of nine Western democracies that found that the United States had the highest rate of polarization of any of these democracies between people and opposing political parties. And this is what happens in the world and what, what we are to resist What happens in the world is we move from seeing people as gravely mistaken to pervasively wicked. And so you're not just wrong on the issue, you're wicked. You're evil. You need to be eliminated. And this now infects the church. And we are no longer in the world, not of the world. We're in the world and of the world. And thirdly, we are called to resist this worldliness of distancing. And What I mean by distancing, much of the world's problems result and stem from the inability to be emotionally connected to someone who doesn't share your life experience. And so how can we say black lives matter? Well, here's the question. For people who are concerned about black lives matter, when's the last time you spoke to a black person? to let them express what it means to be black in this country. For those who say, how can you believe in that policy on gun control? When's the last time we had a conversation with someone who told you their story about whether you agree with her or not as to why they have a particular view of the world as it pertains to gun control? The church must be different. We must be incarnational. We must be curious. We must be compassionate. And I'm embarrassed by what I see in the church. Throughout this nation. Grieved by it. Because we have been so co-opted by the world. And we are not faithful to Jesus Christ. And the invitation for us in this time, brothers and sisters here, my pastoral plea is to be faithful to Jesus Christ, to love Jesus Christ and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to live the kingdom of God and to not get swept up in the worldly way of being in the world. And so instead of dividing, let us seek to understand Instead of demonizing, let us see the humanity of the people that we are in relationship with. Instead of distancing, let us draw near to com- with compassion. Why? Because this is what God has done for us. In the gospel, we are reminded that there we have a God who has drawn near to us in Jesus Christ. Who, with us being sinners as we are through and through is the one who moves towards us in love, who dies on our behalf, who expresses compassion towards us. And who are we to, after receiving this love of God, after receiving this compassion of God, to live in the world in a way that totally rejects that love in the world? We are called to be different. We are called to be a prophetic witness of Jesus Christ in the world. Refusing to be co-opted by the left and the right and the middle and the indifferent and the people who are too holy to be involved in politics. To be resist co-opted by everyone and to find ourselves living from the center of God's life. And it is only when we get to that place where we can truly be faithful to Jesus being in the world but not being of the world. Jesus Christ has been deeply present in the world. Jesus Christ is radically different from the world. And Jesus Christ is wholly committed to the world. And he invites us out of a place of receiving this love and mercy and compassion to be people who work for his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. We come to the Lord's table, and we're going to prepare for that in a moment. We're called to be in the world, but not of it. Deeply present in it, radically different from it. And we see things differently in this congregation. We have over 75 nations represented in our congregation from different generations, different political understandings. And in a moment, the world system can, in fact, and disrupt what God is doing in this church and in churches throughout this country. And it's already happened in churches around this country, but we're called to be different, to be humble, compassionate, loving, justice-oriented people, faithful to the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so, I want to invite you in the room to stand. And I want to give you a moment for your own repentance, my own repentance. And we'll pray a prayer of confession on the screen. And then we'll receive the elements. Everyone should have received elements. And let us be the people God has called us to be in this world. Let me invite you to close your eyes. Where do you need to repent? Where have you been worldly? Where have you been demonizing? Where have you been dividing? Where have you been distanced from people who don't see the world like you do? I know I have a lot of repenting to do, and so do you. And so do you watching online. We all do, because we're broken, sinful, frail, weak people who need to come back to Jesus over and over and over and over again. And so I wanna give you about 30 to 40 seconds to offer your own repentance before the living God. And then we're going to pray a prayer of confession, and I'll lead us to receive communion. But let's offer our own repentance to God right now. Let's pray this prayer of confession. We'll have it on the screen. And we pray it out together because it's our way of reminding ourselves and one another. We're all in the same boat. We all need to confess our sins and return to receive the living God. His love and his mercy and His grace. Together, almighty God, our heavenly father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault in thought, in word, and deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses, and grant that we may serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from the Lord Jesus what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the people of God, let's receive the bread of Christ together same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes as the people of god freely forgiven by the mercy and grace of jesus christ let's all receive together thank you for the gifts of the bread and the cup. And in taking these elements in us, we are reminded who we belong to. Lord, the the world is going to be the world. But protect your people from being conformed to it. May we be an alternative presence in this world, showing that there is a better way a way marked by healing and justice and reconciliation and love and grace and truth. So lead us in our individual lives and as a people together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service, uh, I want to remind you of a few things. Uh, After I give the closing blessing, Uh, You in this room, you can have a seat and Pastor Jackie will come up and give you some instructions as it pertains to exiting and such. And those watching as well, Jackie will give a quick announcement about uh, just our future services. But just to remind you that we have a virtual lobby and a prayer ministry. So if you've been swept up in the political hostility, if you have forgotten who you are and you just want someone to pray for you, Uh, We'd love to pray with you, pray for you, and connect with you uh, in these various ways. And for some of you watching right now, every week we offer this invitation to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And whether you're in the room or watching online, have you made a decision for Jesus? Have you opened yourself to him, to his love, to his forgiveness, to his grace? Uh, You can't expect the world to rescue you. Christ can. Christ can save you. Christ can forgive you. Christ can rescue you. And if today you're feeling, I want to have a relationship with God, you can very simply text yes to Jesus at that number. And one of our pastors will be in touch with you. We would love to follow up with you and help you get on your journey. But as we close our service, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. If you're watching right now, feel free to just open your hands right where you're at. Let me speak a word of blessing over you. My prayer is that as we go into this week, may the church, may you be marked by uh, unity. May you be marked by joy. May you know that God has kept you in this world to bear witness to Jesus Christ. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit being formed to look like Jesus. And may you offer the life of God through the Holy Spirit in your interactions, on your social media, in your conversations with family and friends. May you be in the world, but not of it. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, In the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.